Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm not under any gag order. I'm <laughs> Tommy Vitor. <laughs> on today's pod, Donald Trump's lawyer tests out some novel defense arguments on all five Sunday shows. Mike Pence says he's open to testifying against Trump. And Ron DeSantis finally admits that Joe Biden won the election. Then Desiree Timms from Innovation Ohio joins to talk about the crucial abortion rights vote happening there today. And fresh off another weekend of sheer insanity, Elijah's back for another round of Take Appreciators. But first, just 24 hours after Donald Trump swore during his third arraignment that he wouldn't intimidate witnesses, he posted this all-caps message on Truth Social. If you come after me, I'm coming after you. In subsequent posts over the weekend, Trump also lashed out at star witness Mike Pence, uh, the judge who's been assigned to his case, the city where his case will be tried, Nancy Pelosi, who he called a sick and demented psycho who will someday live in hell, and the U.S. women's soccer team, whose World Cup defeat is one reason he believes, quote, the USA is going to hell. A lot of hell. Uh, Jack Smith prosecutors alerted Judge Tanya Chutkin of the coming after you threat as part of their request for a protective order that would prevent Trump from speaking publicly about the evidence the government shares with him. Trump didn't seem phased by any of this during his rally in South Carolina on Saturday, where he went after Jack Smith and Joe Biden. The man that's doing I really believe he's mentally ill. And it is an outrageous criminalization of political speech. They're trying to make it illegal to question the results of an election. So they rigged the presidential election of 2020, and we're not going to allow them to rig the presidential election of 2024 because our country's not going to survive. Off to a strong start, fun. this case. Uh, let's start with Jack Smith's request for protective order. Uh, Tommy, why does the government want one, and why did they include Trump's threat in their filing? So it's the uh, Smith team wants the judge to prevent Trump from making public evidence that was handed over to his lawyers in the discovery process. That evidence will likely contain personal identifying information about witnesses that Trump could then use to harass them on Twitter, dox them, have his supporters dox them, otherwise intimidate them. So it seems like that's what's driving a lot of this as evidenced by the inclusion of the truth. Seems like uh, doxing would be one of the nicer things his supporters would do. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> And of course, aside from their own safety, which is important to protect, if he publicly threatened people on the witness list, perhaps they wouldn't want to testify, Mm -hmm. uh, which is another issue. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all reading a little too much into this. Presumably, Joe Biden came after Donald Trump, and Donald Trump plans to defeat Joe Biden and come after Joe Biden. Oh, like literally as president. He came. It's just a statement. Oh, Um, I can't believe uh, can't believe Lauro didn't use that one. Oh, you know, he. um, He's uh, he's the best lawyer Trump's ever had, but uh, that's not saying much. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, this would still Trump saying that like oh, this is uh, it's restricting my First Amendment rights. Trump would still see all the evidence mm-hmm. against him. He just wouldn't be able to get his own copy <laughs> and share it around or post it on Truth Social. Um, so Trump's lawyers filed their opposition to the protective order. They argue that it's overly broad, a restriction on his First Amendment rights. And they also uh, accused Joe Biden of, quote, capitalizing on Trump's indictment because he posted a tweet where he drinks from a dark Brandon mug that they're selling in his merch store. Yeah, it's um, well, <laughs> <laughs> well they're they're, you know, this is no Rudy Giuliani. He's like a more serious lawyer. And so he's act, they're making an argument yeah, that bars low, as we've said. But uh, and he's not part of it anymore. Not yet. Right. Is that right? Or <laughs> not, just, yet, not, not yet. Not yet. I don't think so. But uh, but oh, save that. That's a good. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it in. Leave it in. <laughs> uh, but uh, they're trying to argue that he has to be able to that that 
that these legal proceedings are part of the political process. We need to be able to talk about them publicly. Of course, it's like all of this is shadow boxing because Jack Smith is saying, hey, we want to protect sensitive information. What is the sensitive information that they're referring to right now? Well, none. They're referring to the fact that Donald Trump is already issuing vague and ominous threats. And so after he was specifically told not to by the magistrate judge when he was arraigned and he said, yes, sure. Well, by the way, (laughs) he's been through this rigmarole in several of the other legal proceedings that have already taken place. And that in uh, I I don't remember if it's the civil fraud trial affecting the E. Jean Carroll trial, the E. Jean Carroll trial affecting the civil fraud trial. But in one of those, the way in which he was publicly uh, uh, trying to influence the case uh, led the other judge to decide that some of this information needs to be protected because of the way he was going after prosecutors. And I believe maybe a third case. There was one instance where he posted on True Social uh, that death and destruction could follow if he were charged. And I think that led to him being admonished. The other, oh, yeah, I forgot, I forgot about, that, about that Man, what a journey. The other, the other part of this, too, is like Trump's lawyer has, they, they kind of redlined the, the order to try to kind of make it about sensitive stuff, which would free Trump. Red line is they just like comment. Yeah, on they, it, they cut. Didn't you like that? Changes. It was like a standard contract. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it was this sort of like, I've never, like normal Trump lawyers um, try to fuck Borat's uh, aide and <laughs> and then uh, get drunk on Newsmax. They don't usually open up a document and make edits. That's a kind of a twist. Uh, but they're trying to create the the space for Trump to talk about some of the political implications publicly as if no matter what the barriers are, Trump isn't going to blow through them anyway. Again, he didn't send accidentally post a document that had a witness's address. He's began threatening people for being involved in the trial vaguely, but still. It's a blanket threat. Yeah, it's just a loose <laughs> general everyone. over over umbrella threat. And look, one of the reasons he's on trial is he famously did this with his vice president. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, there are unique First Amendment implications in this trial because he is running for president. I do I do think they have a bit of a case that to not be able to talk about anything uh, in discovery would be challenging. But I think there is a real risk of Trump, you know, browbeating a witness out of testifying or otherwise intimidating prosecutors. I mean, he's calling Jack Smith the deranged psycho at events. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is why it's sort of like we're dancing on the head of a pin exactly, here. It's like, yeah. oh, you can redline any fucking document all you want. Oh, oh, I'll only talk about the non-sensitive ones. This is Donald Trump on the toilet on a Sunday. There's no controlling him. Yeah. I do think on the witness list, like if the judge agrees to the red line, he would then have freedom to disclose witness interviews, recordings and other evidence from outside the grand jury proceedings. That they, they Basically, the Trump lawyers stipulated that whatever happened in the grand jury should should remain a uh, secret, but that outside the witness. So you could imagine there was a few witnesses who were, like would be scared off by this. He's going um, to tweet yeah. GPS coordinates for Mark Meadows' uh, exact location. Exactly. Send yeah. the horde. Yeah. Well, you keep saying like, well, he's going to blow through all these red lines. Like, what can the judge do if Trump keeps making threats? Can she uh, can she throw him in jail? <laughs> It brings me no pleasure to say that she could. The, uh, it's it's obviously all it's like it's it's hard to this is all so unprecedented. So it feels ridiculous and very resistancy and online to be like the judge could revoke bail and 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 lock him up until the trial. Straightforward from here. But but <laughs> but no, all of this is unprecedented. And I was try, I was I was remembering an example of a of a federal defendant who had their bail revoked because they were it turns out. Uh, accused of committing crimes while on bail is Michael Avenatti. Mm. Remember that? Oh. Yeah. Michael Avenatti. There's, you can, there are plenty of examples of federal, in federal cases of judge saying, I'm revoking bail. Two of the Proud Boys had their bail revoked uh, because it turns out there was more evidence showing that they were uh, more deeply involved in threatening to lawmakers. So like, 
it all we're all we're in this uncharted place where it seems inconceivable that a judge would revoke the bail of a former president because he's such a menace to the public and have him fucking frog marched uh uh it, to until until his until his trial but all of this is unprecedented so I mean, do you think that the special counsel filing to request a pretrial detention would just say lock him up <laughs> that would be good <laughs> i mean there are they could baby step up to lock him up the judge could impose additional conditions uh in the least restrictive way possible that will make sure he shows up at trial and not put other people at risk. So prohibiting contact with witnesses is one option that she could uh, go down. But yeah, I mean, ultimately you get to revoking bond, which would lead to litigation and probably delay the trial. But wow. It feels like she would um, probably give him a, a warning first. One, like, this or is the last time. explain himself. Or make him, yeah, yes, for sure. And oath. then I do think that beyond the, you know, pretrial detention option, which does seem like the most extreme option in this case. She could, I mean, like, if he continues to piss off the judge, the judge has a lot of power here. She has a lot of leeway. She can, like, rule against his request for recusal, which she'd probably do anyway, because he's, he's, he said these, he has a very powerful case for her recusing herself, even though his lawyer's like, we're not sure yeah, if we're, like, nah, we're, sure we're going to call yeah. for recusal yet. Uh, she could rule against his venue change uh, request, which, again, she probably will anyway, because uh, he wants <laughs> Wants to go to he wants to go to a more more politically diverse West Virginia where he won by sixty points yeah. instead of Washington <laughs> D.C. where yeah. he committed West the crime. Virginia. Yeah, the, it's like you want to try you want a jury in West Virginia commit a crime in West Virginia. Go do don't that. Ju- don't don't come don't give me any ideas. Well, <laughs> guys, I decided to do a little pro bono work here for oh. uh, for Herr Trump and see if this argument would would fly. There is some precedent that he could cite. One Timothy McVeigh, uh, the Oklahoma City bomber who uh, his lawyers got a judge in Oklahoma to move the trial to Denver because the entire state of Oklahoma was prejudiced against them for conducting what was then the worst terrorist attack on uh, U.S. soil ever. So so I guess they can move it to fucking Antarctica. That's an argument you can go for. <laughs> well, and also I, I would say this. Uh, who, who, does, who on the planet doesn't have an opinion of this guy? I would also <laughs> suggest think about uh, what Timothy McVeigh would say about whether or not it worked. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's very much. No, no it didn't, didn't go so good. <laughs> was, can, um, just so people understand, he was executed. <laughs> didn't go Thank good. You. Yeah, didn't go well. And the other thing she could do, of course, is he. his biggest play here is to delay, 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 delay. And she gets pissed off enough, she's just going to rule against all of his attempts to, to delay. You but, know? I mean, yeah. Just, but like, stepping back from like, yes, obviously this judge is well aware of the public attention to this and is going to go to great pains to avoid detaining the former president of the United States before the trial. That said, Which if Donald- he wants, By the way, if you want some fun reading, uh, there's a Washington Post story from last week about like, could he go to jail? What happens with the Secret Service protection? What it's a real fun read. in Iowa? <laughs> the, but, him a solid. But like everything about what Trump is doing, the reason he feels so safe sitting in his house saying threatening things about every lawyer and prosecutor is because he is counting on the fact that he is not treated like everybody else. And at a certain point, he is going to push this either to the point of being threatened by the judge one last time or actually at some point potentially being detained or just as close as he could possibly get to it. That's it. That's what's going to happen. I wonder what do you think would be worse for him? Uh, being detained, like, like I could see her maybe like as a house arrest kind of thing, or just saying you're not allowed to have a phone. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Same away, punishment, taking away his him. posting abilities. Well, I think SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, just got sent to jail because he had been making hundreds of phone calls to journalists and talking to. Oh, people. really? Yeah, you get in trouble. So you know there are ways around this. Why do you think Trump seems intent on trying this case in the court of public opinion, which has been what's happened since all of the indictments? I just I think that this is the only way his brain works. He only thinks in terms of publicity. And uh, 
it's certainly true now that he's a politician running for re-election, but like he tries to win every battle on a minute-by-minute basis, even if it hurts his long-term prospects. And, you know, in this case also, he has the added benefit of maybe influencing the jury pool that's out there because he knows that like you need one person on your side to get a hung jury. I just think in every way he believes the rules don't apply to him. And even the act of showing restraint and discipline in in the hopes of actually helping his own defense and his own ability to operate in the legal system feels like a capitulation that normal people have to do, but that does not apply to him. And so, of course, he's going to say whatever the fuck he wants because he's Donald Trump and he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. And the idea, there's not much more logic to it than that. I think his audience is not the jurors or potential jurors. I think it's the electorate. If he wins the election, he is a free man. He'll either make the DOJ drop the case he will pardon himself if he has already been sentenced by then, which is unlikely because of the time uh, constraint, but he might. He will commute his sentence. Like everything he's doing is about persuading, I think, the only jury that matters, which is an electorate that put made him president in 2016, almost made him president in 2020, and now he wants to do it again in 24. It's it's pretty scary and wild, but that's that's where we are. Yeah. Sure. He wins. But he I, think wins. He wins. I think he'd like to win the cases as well. You know, I mean, I think I think it's a both and here. <laughs> yeah, but I think it, I mean, but if he win, the only thing that matters to him, I think, is if he. If, yeah, obviously, he doesn't want to be convicted. But if he's convicted, all he's going to say is like, I was convicted by an unfair jury in D.C. and blah, blah, blah. And they were out to get me. And now I'm going to win. And if yeah. I win the election, the, then the, I win. The, the I odds think... of winning the election when you're sitting in jail go down a little bit, probably. He knows that. Yeah. And also, I don't think he's doing the thing like sending off a menacing tweet about the judge is not the way it's not obviously it's not the best way to persuade the american people it doesn't show like he's like trying his best to win in the court of public opinion he's just spouting well, in, off because he's furious in his mind this is his argument right that, that i'm being persecuted that they're all coming after me yeah and that's i mean this i think this the whole race is going to be about this yeah <laughs> like there is uh, you, there's going to be all the other issues, like all the economic stuff, everything else we're talking about, like if Donald Trump is the nominee, from his standpoint, all he's going to talk about is this case, is 2020 again, is how they're coming after him, are the indictments, just the way that this calendar is going to play out. And and to your point, before he can run in the general election, he's got to win the nomination. And all of this is about keeping attention on him and yeah. focus on him. And that is, that is, and it is popular. With oh yeah, cer- yeah, certainly for the primary, this is a great argument for him. Uh, so John Loro, Trump's defense lawyer, made the case for his client on all five Sunday shows where he again tried to argue that Trump's attempted coup was uh, merely an exercise in free speech uh, and that he truly believed in his heart of hearts that he won. Loro also tested out a few other novel defenses during his interviews. Uh, let's listen. What President Trump did not do is direct Vice President Pence to do anything. He asked him in an aspirational way. If he had proof he won the state, why did he threaten the Secretary of State with a criminal, uh, with with a that, with a criminal charge? That wasn't a threat at all. What he was asking for is is for Raffensperger to get to the truth. Uh, that was an asp. Hold on one second. That was an aspirational ask. He said the president asked him to violate the Constitution, no, which is another way of saying he, he asked him to break said, the law. He never said. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. A, a, a technical violation of the Constitution is not a violation of criminal law. Uh, what do we think about John Loro, guys? And, and, uh, and where did he come from? Where did Trump get this guy? 
Do you guys remember? Tampa. Yeah, Tampa. <laughs> he was, uh, one of the stories r- talks about how he was one of Tampa's most decorated defense lawyers. Tommy, I'm so glad you said that line. I laughed so hard when I read that. <laughs> I wanted to like put that up on a... <laughs> he defended the manager of the Pink Pony Gentlemen's Club, so he's got good at going for him. Do you guys remember when Liz Truss became the Prime Minister of England and mm. the tabloid put up a live stream of Liz Truss versus a, a rotting head of lettuce? Yeah. That's what I think about every time Trump gets a new lawyer. Didn't the lettuce win? The lettuce won. Okay. The lettuce <laughs> so yeah, so I think you're underestimating my man, John Laura. Uh, who I love. <laughs> he wasn't bad on the Sunday show. One me, of Tampa's most decorated let me tell you defense something. lawyers. Let me tell you something. This is not some Yahoo guy. This guy went to Georgetown. This is this is when I fell in love with this man. So did Donald Trump Jr., right? This is, yeah. Oh, sorry, okay. Penn, Penn. This is, when, this is when I fell in love with this man. Okay. A guy named Ralph Paul went to an Italian restaurant in the Tampa area. Mm-hmm. He ordered uh, a dish called uh, shrimp and scallop verdura. He ate all the shrimp and scallops. Not enough. Not enough. Right up your alley. Then sent it back and said, take it off the bill. This was a pasta dish. Are you sure this wasn't your dad? (laughs) (laughs) He's a hero to dads everywhere. So wait, then he refuses to pay, walks out on a $46 bill, goes to trial. Okay. And John Lohr represents this guy. This guy gets on the stand and he says, as a veteran, I do not just sit and take unfair treatment. Then John LaRoe said what I think is the most amazing sentence I've ever heard. This is about, again, a shrimp and scallop Mm -hmm. pasta. He says, verdura in Italian means true. You know who won? You know who won? John, John fucking Laura. John Laura. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. that's right. Do Eric, not underestimate this man. Eric Trump went to Georgetown. My bad. <laughs> he did run circles around the Sunday Hill shows, but it was Sunday yeah, shows. Okay. You know. well, uh, Keep your head on a swivel. Speak, speaking of low bars. This isn't, this isn't Rudy and then that guy that guy at the impeachment who said Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> who I still great. think about all the time. He also <laughs> we'll do the deposition at my office in Philadelphia. Who talks like that? It rules. He also defended the, the, the ref, NBA ref, who was uh, betting on games he officiated. So. Yeah, and there was—I didn't know there was a whole Netflix documentary about that. That's pretty good. And and Laura says in the Netflix doc, this is all from that Great Washington Post story that we get all this from. It says my strategy always coming into a case instinctually is to fight. I don't like cooperating. I like fighting. I mean, Trump must have saw that documentary and was like, "Get me that guy." <laughs> well, but that same story also was like, well, you know, he actually, you know, got into the business by doing low-profile cases and working things out behind the scenes, and then he, you know, did this famous case and, and fought in public. So I don't know. I guess he's decided that he likes these bruising PR battle cases now. Would you call the shrimp verdura case a low profile or high profile? I think it's pretty pretty big time. Yeah, okay. It's just below impeachment. We talked a little bit about the uh, the free speech defense on Thursday's pod, though Laura seems to be expanding on that argument to say that these were all just aspirational asks and political disagreements over thorny constitutional issues. What do you guys make of that argument? Look, you can stand outside a bank and say all the money inside is yours, but you can't do a heist even if you find a dumbass lawyer who will write a brief saying that you know they're all his diamonds. I mean, I think the broader point is, you know, you can say whatever you want and you can pursue all legal avenues to make your case, which Trump did in all the courts, subjecting to various counts and rule changes, et cetera. But when you create a slate of fraudulent electors, that's no longer a constitutional dispute. That's a conspiracy to to commit fraud. Yeah, so... I love it. I, to your point, so you're talking about the advice of counsel defense, which I think is a, which they're definitely, they're definitely, they seem to be going for, though, as a, a couple of lawyers have pointed out now, that would require him to, uh, including Bill Barr, former yeah. attorney general, that would require Trump to take the stand, which seems like a, uh, seems like a mistake for John Laura, the John Laura we know would not put Trump on the stand. Seems like a bad idea there, yeah. The, the one thing I, I'll tell you if I, it, that, that has worried me a little bit 
is, and Trump has made this argument himself on on Truth Social a few times, is that like I, I wonder if their ultimate plan here is to argue that the Electoral Count Act was vague enough about the vice president's role and about what happens with dual slates of electors, et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, there was some advice from counsel, but also how was anyone to know exactly what the law said? And you know it was vague because Congress last year just decided to clarify the role of the vice president by changing the legislation. You know, I'm just and I don't think that's necessarily a good argument for jurors because I think that you can like Jack Smith can bring a strong enough case. I start to worry then about the Supreme Court and how the Supreme Court treats fraud definitions and how they threw out the Bob McDonnell corruption scandal and all that kind of stuff. That was just one thing that I thought about. Yeah. You know, sometimes it reminds me of like true crime documentaries where they get somebody basically red handed trying to plot the murder of a spouse or something. And then but but they never actually say kill my spouse. They say like, hey, uh, would you uh, consider disposing of this issue? Because they watch mob movies and they think you can like that, like that works. Mm-hmm. And then they just show the video of the jury and be like, when he said dispose of the issue, he was talking about his wife's body. And then jury's like, guilty. And so a little bit of it, a lot of this is like, you can like, you know, posit all these theories and say he was just aspirational. They're going to have to present this to a group of people. And there's, and the, what the indictment makes clear is there is so much evidence that no reasonable person could uh, could interpret to mean that Trump believed any of this horseshit. So they're going to just have to make this ridiculous argument, not to Newsmax and not to Fox News, but to actual human beings. And you're right. Maybe the Supreme Court saves him. But uh, none of this is possible. John Eastman even said he thought his argument would be rejected by the Supreme Court. Yeah. So that, I think, challenge, makes yeah, your, your approach harder. I mean, Jamie Raskin pointed out that you have people currently in jail for counterfeiting one vote in an election. The idea that it's okay to counterfeit an entire slate of electors or steal an entire election from an entire electorate and that that's okay is just irrational. Well, as you say, my argument to my concern, it would be that like the real dummies here are Congress for thinking that they needed to pass legislation to clarify the vice president's role. Because if you really think that our whole constitution was set up so that we can have all these elections, but if you happen to be the president and you have a vice president of the same party, that that, that vice president can just throw out all the votes <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think anyone believes, I, I don't know anyone believes that. I don't well, think there was, there was vagueness in the law about that. I don't well, and I remember we talked about this at the time that like, you can re- try to reform your way out of a coup in all the ways you think you should to strengthen the law and sure have at it. But in the end, this was about power and they were going to justify it anyway. Yeah. They could. But I could tell from him, his whole like violation of the constitution and not the law thing. I was wondering why he was doing that. And I do think that's part of the reason he's trying to say like, well, this was a constitutional dispute and maybe it was a violation, but that's handled by the Supreme Court. And blah, blah, they just blah. want to make it all political speech, yes, which is protected under the First Amendment. Political speech and political argument. That's They're going to end up being like, this is not a crime. This is politics. This is what right. happens in politics. Right. Uh, so Mike Pence said over the weekend, uh, again, that Trump didn't just ask him to pause the certification of the election, uh, which is what the lawyers are arguing. He specifically demanded that he overturn the election. Pence also said he'll testify if asked. Laura responded by saying Pence will be the defense's best witness. Tommy, why do you think he said that? Because um, he has no better argument. So what what they're trying to say is um, they're saying Trump, his ultimate ask was to delay the vote, not to throw out the vote. That might be true, but that came after Mike Pence repeatedly rejected his request to throw out the votes. 
So they're just trying to, they're really kind of hanging this one on a technicality here. My ultimate ask really slicing the was just delay the vote. And Mike Pence is like, yeah, that's not at all true. That's not what happens. It's only true if, if the word ultimate means final ask. Right. <laughs> it's also, there were, there were, <laughs> right. And, but also there's other strange, like throughout, right. There's one moment in the indictment where the other, they were like, oh, actually you can for, forget overturning it. Just say you're sending them back to the states. That was another request that they made. That they like there were so many different ways they were trying to get Pence to not certify the election, and every single time Pence said that he didn't have the. Yeah, authority. and Pence got asked on CBS, and he goes, "Quote was that's not what happened." <laughs> it's pretty clear. I think the other thing they want to do with Pence is have him on the stand and have and say to him, "You have said before that what Trump did is a violation of his oath of office, but you don't think it was criminal." Why don't you think it was criminal? Because remember, Pence wasn't sure about the indictment at first, and he has all those quotes. And Pence was out there after the election floating a whole bunch of theories that, yeah, maybe there was voter fraud in the state. So they're going to say, even you believed there was voter fraud in the state. Yeah, I, mean, I, I do believe that you can't ask a witness in a trial to say whether or not you think the jury should convict them. <laughs> so there's some, they have to just ask him about what happened. But yeah, uh, I do think it's like, clearly, Loro is trying to, you know, there's a kind of whatever bravado thing about saying like Pence would be our best witness, not our worst, not the guy that could confirm all the crimes and exactly yeah. his state of mind. Yeah, but it does it does totally go to the like this was just a political disagreement between two men, you know, and and and, and Donald Trump could have been right or it could have been wrong. You could criminalize criminal. those in America, right? Yeah, exactly. Cross examination too. Yeah, exactly. Mike Pence popping up on the Sunday shows uh, was a reminder that um, other Republicans are still running for president, though the reaction that Pence got in New Hampshire to his potential uh, turn as a star witness against Trump wasn't exactly positive. That's all There's I can tell you. Right there. Pence on the fence, how are you doing? It's all about the people. Why do you sell out the people? Why did you sell out the people? Why didn't you stand? Why didn't you uphold the Constitution, sir? No, you didn't uphold the Constitution. Sold the people out. Sold them out. Sold all these things out. We couldn't see it, but there was just a guy holding uh, holding his Duncans going, Traitor! Traitor! <laughs> Thank you for asking. I do love Concord. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went, ha, ha, ha. Oh, um, God. What is me- he doing? Meanwhile, Chris Christie went to Ukraine, and uh, barely anyone noticed. Uh, Ron DeSantis was uh, mocked by the Trump campaign and others for his small crowds in Iowa. And uh, while he hasn't gone as far as Pence or Christie, he did finally acknowledge that at least some of Trump's election fraud conspiracies weren't true. Let's listen. Yes or no question, do you think the 2020 election was stolen? I've said many times, uh, the election is what it is. All those theories that were put out did not prove to be true. But what I've also said is the way you conduct a good election that people have confidence in, you don't change the rules in the middle of the game. So you recently said the election is what it is. So can we just put this to bed so you don't have to be asked about this a million more times? Yes or no, did Donald Trump lose the 2020 election? Whoever puts their hand on the Bible on January 20th every four years uh, is the winner. After the election, they were talking about Maduro um, stealing votes on the voting machines or whatever, and none of those theories proved to be true. But at the end of the day, you know, Donald Trump helped facilitate that whole set of circumstances. Okay, but respectfully, 
you did not clearly answer that question. And if you can't give a yes or no because on whether or not Trump lost, then how well, can of course, you? No, of, of course he lost. Uh, Trump lost the 2020 of, election. Of course. Okay. Uh, Joe Biden's the president. I love that Ron DeSantis' plan is to just give like extremely basic civics lessons and like basic facts. Like the person who gets inaugurated is the president. Joe Biden is the president. It's uh, it's incredible. (laughs) It is incredible. The like the contortions this person is is doing just like as if he's three points ahead. He's running. He's running like he's ahead. Like he's just trying to protect his lead by being super careful and not giving and not giving the base anything they don't want to hear. Also, the argument was that Dominion voting systems had ties to Hugo Chavez, I was gonna say, who died in 2013. I was yeah, wondering about Maduro. Right. Came Come from. on, get it right. Look, I I get what we, you know. We talked I think our last pod about this um, that in the New York Times poll, right? There's the 37 percent of the MAGA base. There's the persuadables. Then there's the 25 percent that are. Uh, you know, never Trumpers. And clearly DeSantis is looking at the the persuadables and the never Trumpers and is like the never Trumpers believe that Joe Biden won and the persuadables believe that Donald Trump won. So I'm going to have to to (laughs) straddle both. And his idea for straddling both is being like, so Joe Biden definitely won, but there was some mischief in that election. But he won. But we didn't fight hard enough. But I'm going to go to Washington. We're going to storm. He said somewhere else, we're going to storm Washington on January 20th. We're going like, to slit the throats of the bureaucrats. You hear that? Yeah, yeah. Slit the throats of the bureaucrats. You know, the, the Venn diagram you need, though, is the people who want uh, a president who doesn't look like a weak loser, <laughs> who can answer a question directly. Like, oh, I One think circle. That, <laughs> potentially. And like, she's such a petulant, whiny little fucking baby about it, too. Like, oh, you're me- you're annoyed you're getting asked this question? Well, that's because you walked into this trap that Donald Trump laid two years ago and got you all to walk down this path where you question the results of the elections. And now you've lost the ability to call this guy a loser. You knew you were going to run for president, lay the groundwork, and call him a fucking loser. It's so meatball. It's, it's so fucking dumb. It's also just like which he, like, he looks like a meatball. It's yes. um that was the best nickname. It's yeah. it, it's also like oh I can't stand up being distracted by this major liability for my opponent. Let's get back to talking about my failing campaign. <laughs> yeah, let's get back to attacking Bud Light in the Florida pension programs or whatever nonsense you're talking about that day. If we're so focused on Trump's indictment, we don't have time for your many questions about why I'm unappealing to any person I meet. <laughs> Now, now, now wait, he did get some shit for his crowds. Maybe his answer wasn't great, but he got some less horrible news from the New York Times, Iowa poll. He's losing to Trump 44-20 in that poll compared to 54-17 in the national poll. Tommy, what do you make of that? I think it's good. Now, first of all, I do like that our friend Tim Miller single-handedly created a terrible narrative for Ron DeSantis by posting a photo where he sort of went to the top of the uh, the steps at Spanky's Livestock Auction House and took a photo of how empty you the crowd Spanky's. was. Now, in, de- in Ron's defense, uh, Tama, Iowa is like 3,000 people. It's in the middle of nowhere, and he had other events that day. And none of them showed up. But it, <laughs> it did suggest that your campaign staff thought that more people would be arriving when you pick a venue that big. It's like number rule number one of advance. But I do think that poll shows, uh, hope is the wrong word, but it does show that he's doing better in Iowa than he is nationally. And it suggests that they might be getting a little traction in Iowa where they've been running ads and actually campaigning and out there. It could be that Iowa conservatives just don't like Trump and never have. But DeSantis has a 77% approval rating. He's seen as more moral than Trump, more likable than Trump. 40, Which is wild. Yeah, no, <laughs> 47% of Trump supporters in Iowa said they would consider other candidates. So it shows there's a little more room to maneuver in Iowa. We'll see. And then 40% say 
in Iowa say DeSantis is the best candidate to beat Joe Biden and just under 50 percent say that for Trump. But nationally, Trump beats him by 30 points on that measure of who's the best to go against Biden. I was just trying to look in the in the cross tabs of that poll for any details that, uh, you know, uh, months from now when Ron DeSantis is suddenly the uh, GOP nominee and we look back at all of our old Pod Save Americas and we're making fun of him, if we'll be wrong. I still don't think we will be, but it's it, there's a few things in there, which, which what happens in Iowa, right? Where like if you're there all the time and you're on the ground, like we, we've seen it. You know? Well, and I, was, I just also think this is less about Ron DeSantis showing strength and more there's a little bit more weakness for Trump. And I do think that like if we do look back on these pods and I and I hope we do and I hope we just, ref, you know, come back and <laughs> like we listen to all share the, listen back, to the yeah. primary ones in 2020. Uh, yeah. No, this is in 2016. Game of 1600. Yeah. This is a this is a every single pod. The second you hear it, just think of it as a brown banana. It's now or never. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Once it's over, it's over. Don't come back. Never go back. You can make some good Look banana forward. bread with the brown ones, though. Yeah, sure. Okay. Mm. Uh, but uh, or a smoothie. I do like if you were if you were trying to like come up with or, or a smoothie or a smoothie or a smoothie. But DeSantis saying, "Yeah, Trump lost the first time he's asked, as opposed to the fifth time." I don't know. Is going to really like move the needle for him or for like the overall uh, 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 Republican race? But maybe there is some logic to kind of if what you're seeing is, "Hey, maybe there's softness there that's happening because of." The events of Trump being charged by for multiple felonies and facing six months of endless trials and scrutiny. Like, let's hang back, let him hang himself without me pissing off the people I need to win. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's right. But so, I mean, the hopeful sign here is ostensibly Iowa voters are the ones who've been paying more attention, getting courted, seeing ads, seeing camp candidates in person. So getting a little traction there is a good thing. I don't think I, I'm not ready to count DeSantis out. I think what I've learned about him is he is a less talented politician than the hype machine set him up to be. Yeah. But he's still sitting on a ton of money. He has quite possibly the most flawed opponent in political history. And like stranger things have happened. I mean, it's only August 7th. I mean, we're yes, we're getting later, but the first debate hasn't happened yet. The first, you know, like, as you guys remember, things get crazy in December in Iowa. But I just do quickly want to give Trump's team a shout out for one of the better quotes I've seen this cycle about that DeSantis uh, photo of him in this livestock auction venue, which is... Tiny crowd for Ron DeSantis in a livestock auction venue. Nobody is buying what that heifer is selling. <laughs> I mean, also, stop wearing clothes with your fucking name on them, Ron. He's Why does everything say Ron DeSantis on it? Do you think people don't know who you are? I think when people just wear their own merch all the time, it's... Um... Sorry, it's just really driving me crazy. Awful. I also, <laughs> in the... In the uh... In the New York Times uh, write up of their poll, they you know they interview some of the, the, the some of the poll respondents, and one mm -hmm. of them said, "You know, I'm with DeSantis now, but every indictment makes me lean more towards Trump," which is just so uh, like Perfect. it's like two on the nose. But I'm just it. like, okay. The other weird thing, our house is on fire. Quick, all the valuables inside. The other thing, I didn't, <laughs> the other thing I didn't get from the poll is I don't. It's just the way they ask questions. This is why you can't pay too close attention to polls. So yeah, you you said Tommy, 47 percent of Trump supporters said they'd consider other candidates. In the same poll, 97% of Trump supporters say they support him strongly, which is just, I guess that's just like, I'm considering other people, but I'll always love Donald Trump. Maybe, I, maybe that's it. Sure. You know? I, I also think like this, you know, we've, we've talked about like polls that show like, oh, they'll never support this person. 43% say they'll never support that person. And people are very bad at knowing what they'll will or, will never, will, will or won't do. I remember like Bill Clinton famously had a poll where the majority of, of Democratic voters said they would never support him. And then the next thing we knew, he was the nominee. Uh, not us, we were children, but the people at the time. Mm. Uh, 
I think that there could be a kind of critical mass of fears about what happens if Trump becomes the nominee and then they're going into a bunch of trials that make him completely unelectable to the public. And then all of a sudden there's this chaotic, but if not him, who? And they're all kind of standing there. Democrat-like panic. Yeah. Totally. Yes, yeah, absolutely. 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 I mean, and what like, you need is a few polls. It could change slowly and then you, all of a sudden. You need like that New York Times poll or a few polls of that caliber to suddenly... Actually, no, you'd need it to break through the right-wing media ecosystem. You can't... If it's just if it's just a New York Times poll, that's not going to work. But let's, let's pretend, just for the sake of it, that suddenly there's a Fox News poll out that shows that suddenly uh, DeSantis is tied with Biden or beating Biden, but Trump is now down five, 10 points on Biden. And now he's at 25%. Now we're seeing him in the courtroom. And all the Republicans uh, running for president because they're petrified at this point that they're going to lose and they're wasted all their time are at the next debate. And all they're doing is just throwing haymakers at Trump and saying, he can't win, he can't win, he can't win. And suddenly he can't win becomes this echo yeah. throughout the right-wing media echo chamber. And then they all do it. That, I still don't think that's going to happen, but that would well, that I would just... be the... It's sort of like, yeah, it's just possible. Like, it's possible and it's not going to happen. Then all of a sudden it could. And then there's this just these just a scramble up a greasy pole by these like six people. <laughs> Who just, are also greasy. Also pretty greasy. They're all, yeah, the, the pole greasy. and the pole and they the come with their own grease. These guys. <laughs> <laughs> what, you're, what you're describing is basically what happened on the Democratic side in 2020, right? Like the Iowa caucuses were a null result. <laughs> thanks to the counting. <laughs> thanks to the shadow app, which we designed. Yeah. Uh, Bernie wins New Hampshire. There's a big electability freak out. And then Joe Biden wins South Carolina and we're off to the races with yeah. the pandemic. The only the only difference is Joe Biden didn't uh, clown himself as my like Ron DeSantis did for nine. Months. He absolutely did not, but he the campaign struggled for a long time. Yeah, it struggled. It struggled. The difference is it struggled kind of quietly. The other other thing too is if you so Trump's at forty four, DeSantis is at twenty. If you think back to twenty sixteen in Iowa, there were nine candidates. Ted Cruz wins with twenty seven point six percent. Trump comes in second with twenty four point three. Rubio with twenty three point one, and then everyone else is in single digits. Now there's eight candidates and Trump's already at 44. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it does like he could he could lose a bunch and still. Well, there Iowa. just has to be like they're just waiting around. There has to be a, a like a, a surprise, like a, like a, a sudden monumental. Collapse, yeah. A collapse. But yeah. but it, it could happen. I and mean, on, on their side, like Iowa has not historically picked the ultimate candidate for Republicans. New Hampshire, it's like you can have this crossover uh, voting from Democrats. So it's taken a little less seriously. Then you get to South Carolina. It's like, all right. Now some real conservatives are going to vote kids like get out of the way, John McCain. Get yeah. out of the way. Well, there was there's also a little, there's a there's something in common between Ted Cruz and and Ron DeSantis, which oh, is yeah. which is you know Ted Picking Cruz issues that no repulsive. one cares about. Yeah. yeah, but also like Ted Cruz. <laughs> Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz wins in Iowa and New Hampshire's like, oh yuck. <laughs> and like no, thank you. We're not doing what they did. That's some fucking Midwest shit. No way. Ew. <laughs> it's like dipping everything in ranch. Yeah. Like, no, no, no thank thanks. you. Um, deep fried nonsense. Speaking <laughs> of uh, speaking of future front runners, I just want to do a quick world segment here. Tommy, did Chris Christie end the war in Ukraine? I don't think he did. Uh, you know, it's uh, interesting strategy to make a high profile visit to a foreign country to talk about a policy that's deeply unpopular within the Republican primary electorate. But look, I give him credit for it. Do you think Lava gave him that advice? To I do don't that? know that he did. You know, <laughs> you know, but he did the yeah. whole like train from Poland thing to get to Kiev and he went to Bucha where there were horrible, you know, war crimes and atrocities committed. And I don't know. Look, support for Ukraine is uh, is dropping pretty quickly in the U.S. So Chris Christie going out there and waving that flag is, I think, there's, there's some a, value. Yeah. 
Didn't he? Didn't he gift Zelensky something? Uh, yeah. What did he bring? He brought like <laughs> a handwritten of lyrics. From lyrics. Bon Jovi. Uh, it's my life by, by Bon Jovi. And honestly, I can't make fun of it. I think it's the sweetest thing. He's like, I brought you something. It's from my favorite person in well, so, America, and it's about it's about it's about living your life. The, the backstory was <laughs> like it. there was a video of like some town in in Ukraine where people were sandbagging, preparing for the invasion, listening to that song, and so that got oh, in his nice. head. And then he went to John Bon Jovi and he told him he was going over. And John Bon Jovi like had you know FedExed him like handwritten lyrics or something. It's a very nice story. It's just super corny. And when Good for Chris Dan, Christie. and when Dan's out, he's co-hosting with you, Chris Christie. <laughs> Fucking, what is that happening? He's, he's our fifth host. Uh, all right. John Bunn. He's going to host. Uh, in another example of how far these candidates will go to get some attention, uh, who aren't Donald Trump, DeSantis has tentatively agreed to debate Gavin Newsom on Fox News with Sean Hannity as the moderator. Uh, they're currently arguing over the rules. I honestly haven't been able to follow the back and forth I on have. Twitter. Um, <laughs> but it's supposed to take place this November, I guess. Uh, yeah. So there'll be one There will be one big event this maybe November. Maybe in Georgia. Newsom, Newsom proposed two dates. DeSantis proposed four. Yes. So basically, Newsom said, I'll debate you. Sean Hannity can be the moderator. No audience. Four-minute open statements. Mono e mono, and then DeSantis comes back and says, "I want an audience, and I don't want opening statements. I want two minute videos that Fox oh, the hype videos, hype yeah. videos." And so this was Newsom's statement. He said, "DeSantis's counterproposal is littered with crutches to hide his insecurity and ineptitude. <laughs> swapping opening statements with a hype video, cutting down the time need he needs to be on stage, adding cheat notes and a cheering section. Ron should be able to stand at his own two feet. It's no wonder Trump is kicking his ass. That is awesome. At that moment, it's like fucking. You know what, Gavin?" debate him let's yeah, go yeah, yeah. let's fucking go okay. i'm in i think this is a win-win i was hoping one of you would take the other side because uh, you know who i bet you know who i bet would take the other side who we need here right now dan pfeiffer dan. oh no i don't like disagreeing with dan famous uh. famously anti-fox well we're all an- oh yeah no yeah, we're well, pro no. fox yeah no we're three big fox fans we all tried out for tucker slot here's here's my pitch desantis has to do something drastic to break through this is something different uh he has to look like a fighter this might help i look this thing is completely stacked in ron DeSantis's favor with sean hannity as the moderator right so i don't know like if you have to take a week off the trail to prep yes that would suck but maybe you just fold this into debate prep and then for gavin like gavin is there's nothing in the world that he wants to do more than physically fight ron DeSantis, <laughs> and this is the closest he can get well, also, there's a little bit in which there's sort of no losing for Gavin Newsom because he's walking into a debate where everyone knows it's being moderated by fucking Sean Hannity. So it's like that. he does OK. That's amazing. He gets bullied. He gets like he gets like tag team by by Hannity and 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 DeSantis. It's like he went on enemy turf. It's sort of like a win win for him, mm-hmm. too. I think. It, yeah, for, I cannot argue against it being a uh, a great move for Gavin Newsom. I think he has nothing to lose. The expectations are going to be low. He did great with Hannity yeah. when he was one on one with Hannity and his whole brand, you know, if he's going to run for president at some point, is this like Democrats need to fight back, yep. right? We need to take the fight right to Republicans. leave our safe spaces. And I'm going to be the Fox. guy who's not afraid to fight with Republicans. And within a primary context in the Democratic Party, where negative partisanship is a powerful motivator, if not the most powerful mo- motivator, that's going to help him. I could argue that it's not the greatest idea for DeSantis. It will get him attention. It does show the base some fight. But like, He's not running a fantasy campaign against Gavin Newsom. He's running in a primary that he is losing very badly. Like he should, he should go try to win the primary. It just yeah. looks, it's like it's like what are you debating this random California governor? Get back on the fucking trail! But like yeah. Trump's short of, beating you by forty points. Short of beating up the sketch artist in Trump's courtroom, like I don't know how he's going to get covered. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, it's not a bad idea. That mm, might be a better mm, idea. Write that one down. <laughs> right. Yeah, he should just be in the background of the sketches. 
<laughs> with a it's little me, DeSantis me. on his just vest. Run. Like on, run yeah. his vest. You, know, you know who loses this? Gavin's staff. They are going to be doing so much prep to prepare oh, yeah. him for this. Because you know that Gavin is going to go into this thinking Thoughts too that like it's a I'm going to I'm going to beat him on the policy the fact details him to death. And that's not going to that's not what's going to be. Your righteous facts. Yeah. All right, we've talked about this a bit in the context of the Republican primary, but we are headed into a 2024 campaign where the likely Republican nominee could be facing seven trials, four criminal, three civil that he is already making a central part of his message. Politico, just this morning, called it the courtroom campaign. I loved it. The, uh, the... <laughs> they, said, they said if 2020 was the Zoom campaign, which, like, was it? I don't, I don't remember that being the Zoom campaign. I don't remember anything about 2020. Same. Uh, and this is the courtroom campaign. How do you navigate that if you are Joe Biden's campaign? Can I, first of all, just say that I just want to be honest and say that I lost track of, of one the of the trials. civil trials. I actually, oh, I too. thought it was six, Absolutely. and I, I actually forgot one of the two federal civil trials. So there's, or one that's there's divided E. Jean Carroll one, mm-hmm. E. Jean Carroll the sequel. Are, oh, those are, are we count, counting? The, I, that's what I don't know. This is what and I didn't understand. And then there's the fraud one, and then there's the business fraud one. Okay. Hmm. I feel like there's one other fraud. <laughs> I think there is. <laughs> there might be. Oh, is it the truth social fraud one? That, the pyramid scheme. That? I think there's another fraud. There in might there. be the pyramid. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. And then the four criminal, of course, the three that already happened, and we're all waiting on Georgia. Great. Anyway, you're sitting. You're sitting in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, which is where the campaign is. Right. Or maybe you're in the White House. What are you doing about all this? This is hard. I mean, I think that Trump is going to say that Joe Biden is weaponizing DOJ against me. This is all political persecution. I don't think you want to help him with that. I think everyone in the country is going to hear about these cases. You know, I don't think Joe Biden's the best messenger for delivering <laughs> criticisms um, along these lines. So I don't know. I think you probably you, you criticize Trump on about everything else and you focus on your positive message. And I don't know. But like, it's not a very satisfying answer. Yeah, it was a poll that came out today, what, that like 71% of people have heard little to nothing about the Inflation Reduction Act. So he's going to go out on the campaign trail. Anytime he says anything that touches on any of this, that will be news. Uh, but yeah. he's going to be trying to make, he's going to be trying to counter-program these trials with some kind of a positive message and trying to find a way to connect the positive story to the Trump negative story. And I think there's a kind of message in there about like i'm delivering for you he's focused on himself and finding ways to like make news that ties you to trump while getting some of the positive economic uh and policy uh uh stories into it i don't know what else to do i mean you can even make a character argument against trump that or a culture argument against trump that isn't these based on these trials too right i mean you can do the whole thing it's just it's really hard to Talk yeah, about what your own DOJ is doing. Uh, say no, that there's never been a there's this is an unprecedented situation. So they're you know it's a, yes for sure. I think you absolutely cannot comment on the trials or the indictments, right? I do think I've thought about this for a while. I think that like he has to just say what he has said in the past about this, which is that like Trump is a threat to democracy, and this election is about whether democracy survives or not, just like he said it in the midterms. And then when they say, and of course Trump is going to say he politicized this, and he's, uh, they just said today in their filing, right, that Joe Biden capitalized on the indictment just because of the fucking dark Brandon thing. So they're going to say it anyway, Mm -hmm. no matter what. They're also, by the way, going to be out there saying Joe Biden's a criminal, his family's criminal, and he should be impeached. So you're going to have one side saying Joe Biden's a criminal, and Joe Biden can't say Trump's a criminal, but he certainly can say what he has said before about his 
being a threat to democracy, what he did on January 6th, what he did trying to steal the election. And I can imagine there's going to be a lot of debates in the White House about this. I'm sure the lawyers are going to be nervous about it, right? Because like how close are you going to get to commenting on the trial? I'm sure there's going to be some political folks. And look, I think on paid advertising, the paid advertising is going to be like healthcare, economics, IRA, trying to break through. Joe Biden is not going to break through with any of that shit in the press (laughs) Um, because this is going to be about Trump all the time. It's always about Trump when he runs. Now that he's going to be facing all these criminal trials, it's going to be even more about Trump. So when Joe Biden's out there, like he's going to get covered when he talks about Donald Trump and your message about Donald Trump then becomes super important. And I think you have to get to the core of what will honestly happen if Donald Trump wins this election, having faced all of these indictments. Like, what does that say? What is he going to do? What is that going to mean? Like, I think you have to be honest about that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's tough. I, I'm it's not sure really that's tough. the thing voters care about. The, I don't, that's, that's why, that's why I it's like, I don't know. That's like, care about. I feel like the, you're, it's like, you're trying that, to figure out what the con, like, you're saying like, oh, that's what the contrast should be. And like, maybe that's right. Or maybe you just trust that the coverage of Donald Trump being on trial is going to be so awful and so ever present that it's not your job to kind of layer on top of it. Like, I think of the moment when, I mean, Joe Biden got so much coverage uh, when there was that split screen. He's in Kentucky with with Mitch McConnell talking about bridges. He didn't have to say a word about Donald Trump for that to be the story. Um, you know, Donald Trump is pulling out him selling a dark Brandon mug. But like there have been a lot of moments where Joe Biden, just by being in the split screen, has made an argument. Uh, without him having to say Donald Trump is a threat to democracy. I don't know. And this whole debate is going to be so frustrating because you have a a conversation happening that's getting picked up by all the press about whether a judge in Washington, D.C. can rule on this case fairly because it's a liberal venue. And then you have another case in Florida where the judge presiding over it was literally appointed by Donald Trump. And it's like, oh, what? Right? How are we having this debate right now? I, I do think, you know, I am very worried about what you said earlier, John, about the effort to both sides this that's happening in Congress right now and the degree to which in conservative media and the sort of like Joe Rogan stratosphere, the Hunter Biden allegations are breaking through. Like I saw a clip of Rogan the other day talking on the show about how he actually thinks the Biden family is more corrupt. And, you know, he might be a lost cause at this point and he might be, you know, demographically, you know, kind of like an old rich white guy from Texas, like probably not going to get him. But it's a big audience that's going to hear this kind of stuff. And I think it's pretty easy to convince people that actually all politicians are corrupt and bad. So kind of who cares? Um, Which is where I think you ultimately want to make an argument about who's going to help you the most. I mean, I went through a whole midterm election and had done all those focus groups. And I will tell you that like the voters will sit there. And if you ask them what matters, they're not going to say this trial matters. They're not going to say all this shit matters. They're going to say economic concerns matter to them for sure. But having made that argument through the midterms and then watched Joe Biden make democracy very much an issue and made January 6th an issue and made all this an issue. And then seeing the results of the election and seeing how election deniers uniformly did poorly, mm-hmm. did worse than other Republicans and seeing that that actually got like a lot. It, it can, it's not, it wasn't just a base turnout thing. It was a persuasion thing that there was a lot of sort of swing voters who were like, they just needed to be reminded. And I sort of worry that the coverage in the mainstream media to your both sides issues will not do our job for us on this or do the Biden campaign's no, job for them. I, mean, that, yeah. I was surprised to see like last week, the New York Times, and it was a very good piece, but the headline was like, free speech versus election fraud and the trial, free speech on trial. Like that, that argument is going to get into the mainstream press. I just, 
I think Joe Biden has to obviously make an argument about how Donald Trump is a threat to democracy. I'm just trying to think about how Joe Biden can make a positive case for his accomplishments and what he wants to do in a second term that will be interesting enough to break through. It may be impossible. Maybe there's no way to do it. But I think there have been moments where Joe Biden's been able to do it in the past. And he does it by pointing out that while he's fighting and passing and legislating and and, and doing executive orders and, and making actual positive changes, this is what Donald Trump is focused on, right? Yeah. Like there's something, there's some value to doing it. Yeah. It's just it's a couple more Chips Act events. Little, it's going to be complicated. Again, I, I pitched this, pitch this in our company Slack. I think we got to start um, getting stuff in the background of old episodes of Suits. Everyone's watching. Apparently, the whole country has just decided suits. they're watching so fucking Suits. If you're not watching, watching suits. suits, be careful. Someone's going to knock on your door and say, hey, you love this country? Because you don't seem to be watching Suits. And you don't have to watch Suits. This is America. But it makes us worry about you that you're not watching Suits because we're all watching Suits. Old episodes of Suits. I have an idea. Ooh. Joe Biden and the cast of Suits sit down. And they do a retrospective. That's a good idea. I like love a that. Rewatchables yeah. kind of thing. That's um, great. Especially their most their most prominent cast member. It is very fun. Yeah, she nearly toppled the monarchy. Yeah, yeah. That's the power of suits. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Suits has already um, su- suits one authoritarian has... dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one to go. <laughs> the suits run Hollywood. Yeah. Let's get let's get the let's get suits on this. I don't. I honestly. I if you. T- I don't know what suits is. I just know what they wear. <laughs> Is it lawyers? <laughs> I've seen it's one of those it's one of those shows where I've seen the pilot three times now. I've I haven't seen gone like past six the pilot. Episodes. And one of them's a lawyer, one of them see, is not a lawyer. The but one of them says they're a lawyer. Right. Ah, but they're Something wearing like suits. It is fun that all these people like Jason Miller and Susie Wiles and all these Trump staffers who are part of the indictment are gonna have to be on the campaign and comment on it. Can That's you, even more complicated than and, the Biden piece. And they're gonna testify. And then they're going to have to, and then Trump's going to see that they testified because he's going to see the transcripts and then he's going to be on the campaign plane with them and oh then he's going to throw them out of the plane. <laughs> Not enough ketchup in the world. The, the, <laughs> also, I like that Mike Pence was at, they, all these guys are so afraid to just answer a question. Mike Pence was asked like, will you testify? Will you testify? And he said, I have no plans to testify. It's not a party. <laughs> yeah, you're not, not like you're, a, not, you're not hosting an event. Yeah, it's not a baby shower. Yeah, you know, of course you don't have a plan. It's not a planned thing. You haven't been asked to testify yet. I like when he also got asked about uh, whether he kept a journal and how many notes he was taking. He's like, I would on occasion write things in my calendar. It's like, oh, did you, Mike? What was it? Remember? I, I think it's a little more uh, comprehensive than remember that. Remember when that... Um... Remember there was that senator, uh, Nelson, not Bill Nelson, the other Nelson? Oh, oh. Uh, no. No, you're thinking of Bob Graham. I'm thinking of Bob Graham. <laughs> Bob yes. Graham. He Bob ran Graham. for president. Yes, he ran for president. <laughs> wrote down and everything. then he wrote down everything, and it had these endless journals with tiny little notes of every single thing he'd Super ever done. Weird. And guess what? He did not do well in the primary. No, he did, did not work for him. <laughs> ran for president. Didn't The, the, the uh, intense, detailed journaling did not work for Bob Graham. You know what the twist is that's kind of interesting to me? It's so one of the Mike Pence was asked about what would happen if he testified or what happened and he and he says that like I, you know, I I will I will tell the truth and uphold my oath to the constitution and almighty God. Yeah, he's crossing the Delaware a lot in these statements. He absolutely <laughs> is, but I just like thinking that after all these years of Mike Pence using religion to justify every fucking heinous thing, there's a little part of them that's like I can't lie in the stand, God will see. And I think that's cool. Yeah, no, he 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 believes it. Whatever, I love it. Yeah, whether it, I think that's cool. As yeah, hell. that's his thing. Um, anyway, we're going to talk more about this. I'm sure because we're going to we're going to have seven trials to go through, or maybe there's six. Who knows? Okay, two quick housekeeping items before we head to break. If you haven't yet subscribed to our Friends of the Pod community, here's another reason you can help all of us at Crooked Media build a progressive counterweight to the right wing propaganda machine. And if you sign up for the Best Friends tier. 
$10 of your subscription will go to support Vote Save America's grassroots organizing efforts that made a huge difference in the last few elections and will be incredibly important as we head into 2024. Head to crooked.com friends to join today. Also, if you live in Los Angeles, cancel your Thursday night plans and thank us later. The Love It or Leave It Errors Tour is back at Dynasty Typewriter this Thursday at 7.30 p.m. It's an incredible lineup. Wow. Do you know who's in it? I know. Maria Bamford, Ike Barinholtz, Ian Harvey, and Bridger Winnegar. That's right. He's great. Tell your hinge date you have to work late and head to crooked.com slash events to get your tickets now. Nice. Just read what's in front of me. When we come back, Tommy talks with Desiree Timms, the founder and CEO of Innovation Ohio, about the big abortion rights vote happening there today and where the fight goes next. A critical fight for abortion rights and democracy is playing out today in Ohio, where people are voting on a ballot measure called Issue 1. Joining us today to explain this hugely consequential fight is Desiree Timms, the president and CEO of Innovation Ohio. Desiree, thanks for doing the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So let's just start with the basics. What are folks in Ohio voting on this week? So Republicans in Ohio have pulled off the what I call the ultimate scam. That is this special election, which is today, August 8th. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, meaning weeks, because we have not had a ton of time to prepare for this election. We had roughly 85 to 90 days, but we knew that this was coming. Uh, Republicans decided to push for an August special election to increase the threshold for passing constitutional amendments in Ohio from a simple majority, 50 plus one, like the way democracy has always worked in this country, Mm -hmm. to 60%. And they did that because they watched what happened in other states as they took up abortion ballot measures and they saw 57%, 58%, 55%. And Republicans thought, aha, let's make our requirements 60%. That way we can make sure that we continue to ban abortion here in Ohio. That's what we're up against right now. And so I guess the Republican position on abortion rights is that it's an issue for the state's but only in states where uh, proponents of abortion access can get a supermajority. So that's what we're saying now. That's exactly right. And they have a pro-life movement and air quotes on pro-life, right, uh, funding this campaign. And so they tried to change the rules. Uh, offer a very last minute election. We don't even have enough poll workers uh, in every area of the state because it was such a last minute effort uh, to pull off this uh, special election for a very special scam. But we are emboldened and fighting back and really thrilled with some of the early vote numbers that we have coming in. Well, I want to ask you about the funding question because it's uh, a lot of money coming from out of state, it seems like, from conservatives. But in addition to raising the threshold from 50% to simple majorities, you said, to 60%. Uh, issue one would also require petitioners to get a certain number of signatures from every single county in Ohio. So there's 88 counties in Ohio. Currently, you have to hit this signature threshold, and I believe only 44 counties. What would that change mean for grassroots organizations like yours? So uh, I want to be very clear to all of the listeners. It is already hard to change the Constitution. Do you know how hard it is to track 
grandma and Annie and Johnny down in the parking lot to sign a petition, right? It is already hard work. So what they are trying to do now is say, hey, right now you can get 44 counties on uh, the Uh, to collect petitions to turn into change and make a constitutional amendment. What the Republicans have also done with this is say, look, we're going to require all 88 counties. So that means that one county, one county can stop the entire state. That means everyone who lives in a governor, DeWine, Republican, uh, has in his budget that 85 percent of all Ohioans live in metropolitan areas. Eighty five percent. So that means one county can literally, let's say it's a, a rural county or a small county, can upend the progress, the opportunity, the needs and the wants and advancements of 85% of Ohioans. Yeah, it's like a horrible little like mini electoral college for just Ohio. You mentioned that there's some amazing early turnout numbers. Almost 600,000 people have already voted. That's way above turnout for the recent Senate primary. It's below sort of a general election level for governor or president. How are you guys feeling about what that early vote number means for you and your prospects? So we feel really good about the early vote number. We have been holding rallies in many town halls in every corner of the state and not just big cities, small cities and rural areas. Um, And what we know from the early vote data is that a lot of the folks who have requested ballots, who turned in ballots, who voted early are registered Democrats. And so we um, hope and pray that those folks have voted no. But I'm also personally optimistic about some of the Republicans because we know that this issue is not just about abortion. It's about so much more. And so folks who care about uh, school levies and bonds, like all of that has to go on the ballot. And so everything is at stake. And so I think our coalition, which is very broad, includes labor um, and a a lot of different folks and small businesses who are also saying vote no on this very, very important ballot. And I hope and I think that we're going to surprise a lot of folks once the official data comes out to see not just Democrats are voting no, um, but folks all across the political spectrum. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You see Republicans Uh, whining about the 2020 election when Democrats tried to make it easier for folks to vote in the middle of a pandemic. And they're complaining that that's, you know, changing the rules in the middle of the game. Meanwhile, in Ohio, Republicans are trying to make it much harder for people to vote in the middle of an election, which would also, as you mentioned, it wouldn't just apply to this effort to enshrine abortion rights into the Constitution. If you are a Republican who wants fair congressional maps and nonpartisan sort of anti-gerrymandering language put forward, this could stop those efforts too, right? That's exactly right. Uh, This is a very important issue. And I also want to add that we have the strictest voter ID law in the country. You have to have a photo ID in order to vote. So not only have they rolled out this election uh, during the middle of the summer, you also have to have voter ID, an ID that matches your address dress or you cannot vote, you will be turned away. And we have so much at stake with all of the the rules changes, because that's what Republicans do when they don't win the game. Uh, They change the rules and they rig the process. That is what we're up against right now. And this is the precursor to what we have coming forward, not just in 2024, but in a few months in November. We have abortion on the ballot and we also have marijuana on the ballot. So I saw that one of the biggest donors or spenders on the Yes campaign 
which is the the folks we're fighting against here, is an Illinois conservative mega donor named Richard Uline. He contributed four million to the Protect Our Constitution PAC. His contribution made up 82.5% of the Yes campaign's funding, I believe, as according to the Washington Post. Why do you think this like out of state, multi-hundred millionaire, billionaire, I don't know what he is, is spending so much money on this race? That is something that perplexes all of us. Why is this guy from Illinois with no ties to Ohio so invested in ruining our lives? <laughs> like, we deserve <laughs> to have good things. We we like nice things too. And you would think after everyone in the country and around the world heard the story about the nine-year-old girl in Ohio who was raped and had to travel to Indiana to have an abortion, that people would think and see this is a bad thing. This is not something that is smart in terms of policy. This impacts people's lives. But no, this guy, you know, decided, hey, I want to chip in as much money as I possibly can to continue to trample reproductive rights and health care for people in Ohio. So that's what uh, we are up against. But we have received donations from people all across the state, $5, $10, $20 at a time. We were on air before the Yes campaign. We were on air longer and we've been fighting back tooth and nail, uh, dollar for dollar. And so I feel really confident about our campaign and our movement because we organized right away. Yeah. So obviously abortion access will be a huge part of the 2024 campaign across the board. Are there things that you guys have learned from your organizing, from the work uh, you've done from, I don't know how, like what messages work on the doors that the Biden campaign or other candidates can can learn and you know steal from? Absolutely. I think when we are talking to young voters and communities of color and people who don't pay attention to politics as much as us. It is very important to make sure that the voter is the hero. It is not about what XYZ politician has done for you and mm-hmm. how they you know, make your life better. It's about, hey, because you voted in the last election, we were able to cap insulin at $35. It is because you voted in the last election, student loans were able to stay on hold for so long and the Biden administration fought to make sure that we could have access to have our student loans canceled, even though the Supreme Court struck it down. That fight happened because you showed up. And when we center our our politics and our policy wins around the voter, making the voter the hero, they feel empowered to vote because with so much gerrymandering and the voter IDs and the Republicans rigging the rules, people are turned off. And so how do you turn people back on? How do you make them feel a part of the process? You have to censor them and make it uh, about them. And, and that's what we're doing on the doors. We're talking about what issue one will mean for, for all of Ohioans and what it means for them to show up and vote uh, this August. I love that. Make the voter the hero. Give them some agency. Make them feel like they accomplished something. Last question for you. So no matter what happens, your team is going to be fighting for uh, abortion rights and access in November. How can listeners get involved and and help out? Yes. So uh, what listeners can do is visit innovationohio.org and chip in. We also launched the Ohio Voter Guide. Uh, You can share that link, ohiovoterguide.org, to every single Ohioan you know and make sure that they have the information they need to make an educated and informed decision to hopefully vote no on August 8th. 
But we will also use Ohio Voter Guide again in uh, November and the following election after that. So share that link out. It helps people access all the information they need in terms of registering to vote, finding their polling location, and finding out who and what is on their ballot. And that's ohiovoterguide.org. Excellent. Well, Desiree Timms, thank you for the work you're doing. Thanks for doing the show. And, uh, you know, I think I think we're going to win. I feel good about this one. I feel good, too. I'm I'm fired up. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, I don't think anyone wants the rules to be changed. I don't think everyone wants the government making it harder for citizens to have their voices heard. So uh, fingers crossed here. But thank you again. Thanks. All right. Before we go, Elijah's back with the things he holds nearest and dearest in life, his takes. How's it going, Elijah? It's going great, John. Great to be with you again, doing the take appreciators. Let's just jump right into it because we're on a tight schedule. (laughs) I'm going to share some takes with you all. The producers have seen all of them. John, John, and Tommy have not. They'll rate them on a scale of one to four politicos, with four being the worst. Thanks to our subscribers who sent these takes in today. You can sign up for Friends of the Pod, our subscription service at crooked.com slash friends. You guys ready? Ready. Ready. All right. Let's start with a piece from the Washington Post. It's by Henry Olson, and it's titled, Republicans Save Democracy in 2020. This piece makes the argument that it is Republicans like Mike Pence, Brad Raffensperger, and some of Trump-appointed judges who made all the difference when Trump tried to overturn the 2020 election. Here's a quote. If you love our democracy, thank Republicans for the fact that we still have it. Oh, my gosh. What do you guys think? That's very triggering. Um, so, where, where's the lie? Uh, <laughs> where's the Christ. fucking lie? Rusty Bowers, which is... Uh, uh, yeah, no. One I, example. I, look, I will definitely thank a few individual Republicans for not joining the conspiracy for not that doing Trump is now being tried for. <laughs> Congrats, you didn't do Congrats. a coup. Thank you for not. Thank you. No, that yeah. was very good of them. They did uh, But the Republican Party as a whole is, is, of course, why we're in this mess because it is controlled by Donald Trump and his supporters. Well, that's 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 a, that's obviously an issue as well. <laughs> <laughs> look, I think the headline is the most triggering thing, so I feel like that gets. I, I'll give that a three. Yeah. How many? How many? What are the numbers again? One through four. Uh, it's just one through four. It's been a while. That's a that's a that's a one and a half for me. Okay, okay. I'll give it a three. Okay, I'm sorry. It's been a while. Like, we never we never play take appreciators anymore. What happened? <laughs> sorry, man. You okay? You want to talk a, about? You want to have a side meeting about this? <laughs> Elijah with his head down, walking a little radio flyer. <laughs> yeah, babe. Why don't we play take appreciators anymore? <laughs> <laughs> let's move let's move on to a post from truth social uh from the thrice indicted former president donald trump you referenced it at the top of the show quote the shocking and totally unexpected loss from the u.s women's national team to sweden is fully emblematic of what's happening to our once great nation under crooked joe biden many of our players were openly hostile to america no other country behaves in such a manner or even close Woke equals failure. Nice shot, Megan. The USA is going to hell, three exclamation points. MAGA. (laughs) (laughs) There is like, there were so many people on the internet yesterday rooting against the United States because they don't like the political views of some of the players on one of the teams. What is wrong with you? You know, it's broken brain people on the planet. Sick stuff. Sick stuff. Also, what a just... USA nice is going shot, to hell? Megan. The USA is going to hell is, is quite a sentence. Because we lost from, to Sweden? From the man who wants to lead our nation. I don't... Full full playbook. Full playbook. Full yeah. playbook. Yeah. Ugh. 
I really do hate the rooting against our our our. our it really gets me. You know, I it really to, gets me. I was trying to think to myself, like, was there a time when the U.S. team won something and you really disliked a player for being some kind of like right wing nutters? I, I can't think of an example on the other side. I really can't. Remember, in the, in the, there was that baseball player who then was on Survivor who said that he didn't want to ride on the seven train because of some homophobic and racist things. Uh, John Rocker. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Did he ever do the Olympics? I don't think so. He okay. might have. That's that was, the only person I could think of. That was probably an era when pros weren't ar- allowed in the and, Olympic team. I mean, Kurt Schilling's a big trumper, but I still love the 2004 Red Yeah, Olympics. I will always appreciate what he did Well, for me. if you guys uh, couldn't know, root for assholes, you'd never be able to watch sports. <laughs> yeah. It's a compromise we all make. <laughs> like America's team, the Patriots. Yeah. Oh, please. No assholes on that You're welcome. team. It's right, in the, it's right in the title. You're welcome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're at a full playbook for that truth? Sure are. Yeah. Sure. Great. All right, let's end with something that we don't normally do, a letter to the editor. There are lots of takes out there that say Biden should pardon Donald Trump, but here's something from Gary to the Salt Lake Tribune. (laughs) Now, I have to say, I think Gary is cooking. (laughs) Fucking deep, deep reach. Letter to the editor. Hey, Gary. You know what we call those today? They're called the X's. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Get get ready to have your world rock, Gary, because Pod Save America's coming. (laughs) Who the fuck is writing a letter to the editor anymore? Just go, you fucking post something. I love what Gary is cooking up here as an intellectual exercise. Uh, It's titled, For Strategic Reasons, Biden Should Get Into the Self-Pardon Game. Here's a quote. I don't think Biden has committed any crimes, but doing a pardon would test whether it's constitutional. And if it is, it would protect him from retribution by a potential President Trump in 2024. This would put Biden's opponents in a position that if they complain or try to block the pardon, it would apply to Trump as well. Is Gary cooking? Gary, yeah, I'm yeah. for it. I'm hey, for Gary. it. He should definitely self-pardon. Yeah. <laughs> Gary, you hey, Gary, just... I like what you're cooking. I got a bowl right here. Serve it. I'm in. Yeah. I think after should, the election. I think it should be pardons for him, pardons for uh for Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, maybe us. I don't know. Honestly, I, I <laughs> I'd sleep just, a little I'd sleep a better. A little, pro- little prophylactic pardoning going on. Pardoning an Ambien? I'll sleep like a fucking baby. <laughs> I think that's Joe, what I've been missing. Joe Biden needs to issue an executive order that says Gary can't read political news for at least two years. I think that is that is Ooh, yeah. You're thinking your your D's in your chest are too high. Too many D's in your chest. <laughs> D's? 4D, 3D, 5D chess? Oh, 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 chess. <laughs> I thought he said chest. I was oh, like, like no, do you like D's on his chest? <laughs> what the fuck? It? I don't even what know. What have you been up to? I don't know. Not, not as, nothing. I've been up to nothing. Where was Gary's letter printed? Uh, it was in Salt, it was Lake. Salt Lake. Oh, you're looking at the Salt Wow. How did you find that? Here's the Elijah? thing. That, but that tells me something about Gary. Gary. I think the subs send them to him. Gary, mm. uh, <laughs> not the Doms. Gary, Gary, <laughs> fuck Gary <laughs> is in fucking Salt Lake with a candle. You know, in a red state, mm-hmm. uh-huh. just just out there fighting for Joe Biden every goddamn day, thinking thinking ahead. But he's a Romney Biden voter. Yep. Gary's being slandered. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> Gary. They they try to overthrow the government. I don't think a little rhetorical, you know, flair is gonna convince them otherwise. Uh, polit- it's a constitutional argument. Yeah. Politico rating for Gary. One. None. I think None. I think Not Gary did a one. great job. Yeah. Do your- Yeah. Maybe zero. Zero. Gary's yeah. great. Nice. Gary's, Gary's just, Gary. You know what? No bad ideas in a brainstorm, Gary. He's just trying to save democracy. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Fun idea, Gary. <laughs> Turns out it was Gary Busey. 
It's interesting to picture that. You didn't picture Gary Busey. <laughs> Did not see that coming. Elijah Cohn, thanks for uh, a great take, Appreciators. We'll uh, we'll try to have you on more frequently. Um, Des- <laughs> thanks also to Desiree Timms for joining us. Hope everyone in Ohio voted today. It's, it's the day of the election, so... Oh. If you're listening early, get out there. Get, 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 get out there. Yeah, if it, maybe if it's t- first if it's, thing Tuesday morning, get out there. If you're still in line, stay in line. Stay in line. That's right. And uh, otherwise, we'll talk to you on Thursday. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our producers are Andy Gardner-Bernstein and Olivia Martinez. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Jordan Cantor is our sound engineer with audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Thanks to Hallie Kiefer, Madeline Herringer, Ari Schwartz, Andy Taff, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Mia Kelman, Ben Hethcote, and David Tolls. Subscribe to Pod Save America on YouTube to catch full episodes, exclusive content, and other community events. Find us at youtube.com slash at Pod Save America. I want to tell you about a new podcast you might enjoy. It's called Search Engine. Each episode, reporter PJ Vogt tries to answer every question he has about the world. No question too big, no question too small. Questions like, why are drug dealers putting fentanyl in everything, even though it's killing their customers? I was wondering that too. Same. Or is uh, my local sushi restaurant a part of an international scam? Yikes, I hope not. Now I'm wondering that. Did anyone ever figure out where Sam Bankman-Fried hit all that money? Not in his wardrobe. Not in his wardrobe. Oh. Oh, uh, Also, how sad are the monkeys at the zoo? How sad are the monkeys? It depends on the zoo. If you find this world bewildering, which we do, but also sometimes enjoy being bewildered by it, which we also do, we think you'll like this show. Search Engine with PJ Vote, an Odyssey podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.